So this past week, tragedy struck our community. Gut-wrenching, heart-wrenching tragedy. I did not know the, the father. I did not know the children that lost their lives this past week at the hands of their father. But what I know is, is that for the one who is to be the protector and the one who is to be the provider, to take the lives of those for whom he is responsible, to take the lives of those to whom he has been entrusted, I can tell you one thing, that is not the work of flesh and blood. That is the work of a heinous enemy. I can tell you that that is evidence to us that our enemy, that Satan himself, has strongholds in our community that perhaps we don't perceive. Strongholds that we've grown numb to. Strongholds that we, it's become easy for us to turn a blind eye to. And as I was sitting and I was praying for the family and I was grieving the loss and I was, I was thinking, man, this is my community. This is my hometown. In fact, it happened at the end of my road that I grew up on. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, oh Lord, what are we to do? What are we to do? And then I'm reminded, this was yet another groaning of a cursed creation. This, this was but yet another symptom of a broken world. This was brokenness once again rearing its ugly head. And do you know what, church? We have the remedy for brokenness. We have the remedy for the strongholds of Satan. We have the remedy that our community so desperately needs. And if the tragedy of this week has no other effect on us, let it call us to urgency to take the good news of the remedy that we have in Christ Jesus and the abundant life that he offers through his resurrection to our people, to our high schools, to the places where we work, to the homes that we go, go home to. Darkness is in our community. Darkness is in our world. But God has taken a light and he has made us a city on a hill that we might be salt in life in the midst of this brokenness, in the midst of this death, in the midst of this darkness. And so brothers and sisters, what I'm gonna call us to boldly this morning is that we would go into the midst of this darkness. We would go into the midst of this messiness, that we would go as missionaries ourselves, and that we would take all, roll up our sleeves and take off our gloves, get right in the midst of it, and make friends there. And make friends there so that we might bring them out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. Make friends there. That we might take those who are yet hopeless and miserable, those who are falling into despair, those who may find themselves in the stronghold of the enemy and by the power of Jesus Christ and with the gospel of Jesus Christ, bring them out. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 9? 
We are in our value of emphasis series. Our value of emphasis for 2018 is to dine with sinners. Last week, Aaron began our series by calling us to invite. We're going to have a, a three-pronged approach as we continue to talk about this value of emphasis, that we are to invite the lost, befriend the lost, and disciple the lost, that they may have hope in Jesus Christ. And so last week, Aaron began talking with us about invite. And today, I want to open up Matthew chapter 9, which I believe is the prototype verse, the prototype passage for our core value of dining with sinners so that we might see our responsibility to befriend those who are caught up in utter darkness, that they might be delivered from that darkness and walk with us in light and in love with Jesus Christ, our Savior. So Matthew chapter 9, we're going to look at the testimony of Matthew and beginning in verse 9. Would you stand with me as we read God's word together? I sang so loud, I almost don't have any voice left. Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 9, God's inerrant and all-sufficient word says, As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his inerrant word this morning. You may be seated. So when we come to Matthew chapter 9, we come to perhaps the most personal passage to Matthew. A, a passage that if we can not deny in the least, he is a first-hand witness of. And so Matthew is beginning to tell us, and as Matthew is talking, he is talking about his own testimony. Now you can imagine, this is some years after the crucifixion of Christ. This is some years after the resurrection of Christ. This is as the church is already beginning, beginning to be persecuted. This is before the martyrdom of Matthew. But this is certainly at a point in Matthew's life in which his faith and which life itself is getting real. Things are getting hard. Things are getting difficult. And yet the evangelist writes this letter. He pins this gospel account so that his fellow countrymen, so that the Jews may be delivered from their confusion, so that they may be delivered from the blindness that they have to see Christ for who he truly is. And so in the midst of this letter in chapter 9, Matthew writes about his own encounter with Christ. The first time that he met Christ. And so as we read this account, as we think about Matthew, don't let us just blindly word some, uh, uh, mouth some words. Let us read this as being as personal, as intense as Matthew would have written it. This is Matthew's story in Matthew's words. This is him coming to find the Christ. This is him finding hope on earth. This is him coming and beginning to follow the one for whom he would ultimately die. This is personal to Matthew. And where do we find Matthew as Jesus encounters him for the first time? We find Matthew at the tax booth. At the tax booth. That we, we shouldn't move past that quickly. See, Matthew doesn't give us a lot of words about his testimony. He doesn't give us a lot of details about his testimony. But what he sa in what he says, 
he says a lot. And one of the things that Matthew tells us is that he is sitting at the tax booth and that he is collecting taxes. Now, if you read throughout the Gospels, if, it won't take long for you to realize that as often as tax collectors are talked about, sinners are talked about. They are often lumped together, that you have tax collectors and sinners. That in fact, tax collectors were so loathed, they were so despised, that they had their own category among the sinners. You had tax collectors and sinners. And when it talks about sinners in conjunction with tax collectors, it is talking about the very worst of sinners, the most deplorable of our society. You see, the reason that tax collectors were so hated was that they were citizens of Israel and yet they worked for Rome. They would sit at a booth and Rome had its taxes and what they would do is they would go and they would find a member of the nation of which they conquered and the people, and among those people, they would raise up one that they would use to be their collector. Now that person was not only responsible for collecting for the enemy, for the one that had conquered his own people, but what they were then empowered to do is that they could set the tax rate at a number that was pleasing to them. And as long as Rome got what, got, got what was coming to them, they could keep for themselves the rest. So they would set the tax brackets quite high. And they would go and they would oppress their own people and they would tax their own people at a rate that was unnecessarily high and then they would live in the lap of luxury. Very often as we read about the tax collectors, they're having parties at their houses or they're in their homes and their homes are always shown to be much more elaborate than the average first century Jew. So you can imagine how the people would feel about the one who is working for the one who conquered them and while working for them is getting filthy rich in the process by oppressing their very own people. And so while their people are struggling to make ends meet, they're living in a 15 bedroom mansion up on the hill, having their parties, doing their thing, living up, doing all that they want. While the people in the village are struggling to eat, they are eating food fit for a king, fit for the elites of the society. And so they were so despised in Jewish culture that they were rendered to be unclean and they were not welcomed into the synagogues for worship. And that's who Matthew is. Matthew is a thief. Matthew is a robber. Matthew is a corrupt politician. Matthew is the most loathsome of his society. Matthew is the kind of guy that you don't want at your house. You don't want at your kid's birthday party. You really don't want in your community that if you had the ability to take him out to the city line and to say, hey, don't come back, bro. That's the kind of guy that you would do it. And so what we would expect is we would expect that Jesus would rebuke a man like that, right? We would expect Jesus to rebuke a man like that. I mean, think about, you know, we, we, politics is a, is a big thing in our world and all of us have our own view and all of us have our own, you know, and so it becomes very divisive. And so I want you to imagine in this situation, that's what we've got. You've got, you know, you, know, you have the, the people, they accuse the Democrats of always having their, their hand in their pocket and they're, they're kind of taking from their paycheck to give to people that they don't think deserve it and all that kind of stuff. That's who Matthew is, Right. 
It's that Republican guy who says that he stands for conservative values and then lives as though he's accountable for no one. That's Matthew. Matthew is a member of the people of God and yet he is living as though he is an enemy to the people of God. You can imagine that we, we think in our minds, that if Jesus were to come to our context, that he would go into the midst of our Congress and he would begin flipping tables. But you know, in the Gospels, that's not what Jesus does. Jesus doesn't flip the tables of the sinners. Jesus flips the tables of the self-righteous. Jesus goes into the churches among the religious elites, those who believe they have it all figured out. And those are the tables that he flips. And so Matthew, the one that we believe that he would rebuke, is not the one that he rebukes at all. Instead, what does Jesus do? He initiates friendship. He initiates friendship. He offers Matthew an offer of friendship to come and to enter into relationship with him. And it's important that we get the order here. You know what Jesus doesn't go to Matthew and say? Jesus doesn't go to Matthew and say, Matthew, if you'll stop selling taxes and you'll start going to church and we can see a track record of success in your life, then I'm gonna let you come and be my friend. Jesus doesn't go to Matthew and say, hey, Matthew, if you'll kind of clean up your act a little bit, if, if you'll kind of go by these five non-negotiables that I'm gonna set in your life and you'll show me that over some sustainable period of time, then I'm gonna invite you to be a part of my discipleship community. That's not what Jesus does though, is it? Jesus finds Matthew not at a WMU meeting, not, not at a, a meeting of the mission team, not at a Bible study, he finds him in the tax booth, in the act of sin, in the act of his betrayal. And he looks at him and he says, follow me. Come with me. Go where I'm going. Go where I'm taking you. Come enter into a long-term relationship with me that we might accomplish great good together. Come enter into a long-term relationship with me. Don't clean up yourself first. Don't change yourself first. No, come to me and I'll do the changing. Come to me and I'll do the cleaning up. It's a stunning picture of Jesus, isn't it? It's a stunning picture of Jesus. And yet, you know what the very greatest thing about Jesus is? The very greatest thing about Jesus is that Jesus is the friend of sinners. The very greatest thing about Jesus is that Jesus is willing to befriend sinners, that he is willing to enter into relationship with us, that he doesn't come to us and tell us to clean up. He doesn't come to us and say, show him our church attendance. He doesn't come to us and say, hey, what's all your dirty secrets? Those all gotta be taken care of. No, he comes to us and he runs after us and he pursues us and he, he comes and he says, just follow me, just follow me. I'll take care of all of that. Let's, we'll, we'll abandon that, come with me. You don't have to fix anything first, I'm offering relationship to you right now. I mean, here's what I want us to see from that. That if we are going to make disciples as Jesus made disciples, we're going to have to make friends as Jesus made friends. That if we're going to make disciples as Jesus made disciples, we are going to have to make friends as Jesus made friends. Do you know what every single one of us is proof of? Every single one of us is proof that there is no sin too bad, no secret too dark that will exclude us from relationship with Christ Jesus. Every single one of us. Maybe you'd say, man, I've never cheated on my wife, but you've lusted. 
Maybe you would say, but I've never murdered anybody, but you've had bitterness and anger in your heart. And Jesus says, those are equals. Those are equals. See, what every one of us were, were is every one of us were hopelessly dead in our sin. Every one of us were desperately wicked in our hearts. Every one of us were in outright rebellion against God. And yet Jesus came to every single one of us and said, hey, come into relationship with me. Let me offer you a friendship that's not just for a little while. Let me offer you a friendship that's not just while you get back on your feet. Let me offer you a friendship that's not just conditional on you cleaning up your act. Let me offer you a friendship in which I'm going to enter into a relationship with you and I'm not going anywhere. Uh, let me enter into a relationship with you so that the, no matter what comes into your life, nothing will separate me, you, from my love. So let me ask you a question. If we are the living proof, if every single one of us are living testimonies of the fact that there is no sin too bad, no secret too dark that will exclude us from the love of Jesus Christ, the re a relationship with Jesus Christ, and Jesus is not too good to be friends with every single one of us, how is it that any of us can be too good to be friends with any other sinner? You see, if we are gonna go in the image of Christ, if we are gonna walk in likeness to Christ, if we are going to make disciples as Jesus has made disciples, we are gonna have to make friends as Jesus made friends. We're gonna have to make friends with people we're not comfortable with. We're gonna have to make friends with people that it doesn't come naturally to us. We're gonna have to make friends that are not in our socioeconomic category. We're gonna have to make friends with people that are not in our ethnic category. We're gonna have to make friends with people that typically we would say are too sinful, are too dark, are too far gone. If we we are going to make disciples as Jesus has made disciples, then we are going to live with the understanding that no man, no woman, nobody at your high school, nobody at your job is too deep in sin, too deep in secrets, that they cannot be delivered by the power of Jesus Christ and his gospel. So we will make friends with them so that we can call them out of that life and into hope. Now, when you think about what Matthew writes, the thing that kind of catches you off guard about his testimony is that Matthew gives us one verse about his own encounter with God. You notice that? Verse nine, or his own encounter with Christ. He gives us one verse. Okay, so he gives us this short, pithy, profound, powerful, but it's just one verse. One word, verse that describes him coming to faith in Jesus or, or beginning to follow Jesus. Perhaps he's not in faith yet. But then he gives us four verses about Jesus and being in relationship with his friends. You notice that? So he gives us one verse about him encountering Christ. And then he gives us four verses about Jesus encountering with his friends. You see, Jesus did not just come to call uh, Matthew into a casual friendship, but to a deep one. Jesus wasn't just calling Matthew to have a seat in his church. Jesus was calling Matthew to have a seat in his life. He was a good friend. Those people that, that were close to Matthew, those people that were important to Matthew, those people that were a part of Matthew's life, Jesus steps in and he says, hey, I'll let them be a part of my life too. I'll invite them to come and be a part of what I'm trying to accomplish too. Let them, bring them, let's, let's throw a party, Matthew. Bring all of your friends and I'll hang out at the table with them. See, here's what I think we're, we're, we're guilty of sometimes. 
We, we know intellectually, most of us who are Christians and have been Christians for any period of time, we know that Jesus is the friend of sinners. We know intellectually uh, that, that, that when uh, that Jesus is able and willing to save any sinner, we, don't, we just doubt that it's actually going to happen, right? Like we know that he can, we just don't think that he will. And then we think, okay, yeah, okay, I'll invite that guy to church and I'll let him sit on the back row while my family sits up on the front row and it'll all be good because then I'll, I'll, I'll be alleviated of the burden to invite him, but I will be off the hook of having to really associate him, with him and have my kids around him and have my wife around him, right? See, I think sometimes in the church culture that we live in now, we want to invite people to be a part of our church, but we don't want to invite them to be a part of our lives. We want to invite them to come and to have access to the gospel, but what we want to do is we want to hold them at arm's length. We want to keep them at a safe distance. And so how many people have come into our churches? How many people have come and sat on the back row of a church just like this one because they heard there was hope there. They heard there was good news there. They heard that they would be loved there. They heard that they would be accepted there. But when they came, they found that the church held them at arm's length the whole time. That they were invited to be a part of the church. They were invited to have a, a seat in the church, but they were not invited to be a part of the life of the church. They were not invited to be a part of the life of your family. You see, people don't want to be projects. People want to be friends. People don't want to be projects. People want to be friends. And the world has caught on to the fact that the modern church is looking for a project, people that they can hold up on stage and say, hey, look at how good God is, and then let them go back to their lives while they go back to theirs, all the while living separately. Brothers and sisters, that is not evangelism. That is not discipleship in the way of Jesus Christ. Christ did not hold Matthew at arm's length. Christ did not hold Matthew's friends at arm's length. No, Christ said, come, sit at the table with me. Let me be in your home. Let me be at your party. Let me be with your friends. Invite them to come and I will sit with them and I will fellowship with them and I will offer them relationship just as I have offered you. Jesus isn't a friend like we're a friend. Jesus is a good friend. You want to know something, church family? If we're going to influence our culture, if we are going to influence our generation, and I believe that God has called us to do nothing less than that, then we will not influence our generation by holding them at arm's length. We will not influence our generation by preaching at it. We will not influence our generation by debating them on Facebook. We will not influence our generation by whispering behind the backs of the atheists as though they are terrorists. No, we will influence our generation by befriending them because people don't listen to debaters. People don't even listen to preachers. People listen to their friends. I want you to think about what it says here. It says that many Many tax collectors and sinners show up, many of them. Now, we read of things just like that throughout the Gospels, don't we? That, that, that many brought their sick and they were healed. That many came to hear because they had heard they, that he was preaching with an authority that they've never heard. So we read throughout the Gospels that many people are coming and they're listening to Jesus. And maybe sometimes we're inclined to think, but I can't do that. 
We, we read about Jesus healing the blind and healing the lame and healing the deaf. And many come, many tax collectors, many sinners, a big crowd forms because they want to see Jesus do stuff like that. And we think, well, man, that was awesome. That would have been cool to be there, but I can't do that. So I'm off the hook, right? Or, or, or we read about uh, when Jesus teaches and preaches an authority that you and I just don't have. Well, we, we have in part, but not fully, right? In the Holy Spirit, we think, man, I'm not Jesus. I can't gather a crowd like that. But Matthew tells us that on that day, many tax collectors and sinners came and they gathered at his house and they reclined at the table of Jesus. And Jesus is not healing. Jesus, it doesn't even tell us he's teaching. Perhaps he is, perhaps he isn't. It doesn't tell us that he's doing any of those things. It only tells us that he's sitting with them. It only tells us that he's enjoying a meal with them. It only tells us that he's enjoying fellowship with him. To, to recline at a table in that day was to, was to say public or, or, or was to acknowledge that there is an abiding relationship there. To, to recline at the table there was to say that, man, we are in close fellowship with one another. And Jesus is not healing and Jesus is not teaching. Jesus is just being a friend. Jesus is just being kind. Jesus is just being loving and patient. Jesus is just manifesting the fruit of the Spirit. He's just living out what Matthew has already seen, that he is not just about words, that he is not just about lectures, that he is the real deal, that he is, in fact, who he says he is. And do you know what we see? It's magnetic. It's magnetic. You know what the dream is for Iron City Baptist Church? That many tax collectors and sinners would gather here. The dream of our church is that this would be a hospital for sinners in which they would descend and they would come and they wouldn't be held at arm's length. They wouldn't just be invited to our back rows, but that they would be invited to be a part of our lives, that they might be delivered, that they would be invited to grill out at our house, that they would be invited to go to lunch with our family, that they would be invited to sit on the row with us that we would be a part of one another's lives, that we would go and do things together and befriend them so that they can see that we are who we say we are, that we are in fact in the likeness of Christ. Brothers and sisters, if we are going to make disciples like Christ made disciples, we must make friends like Christ made friends. My Plains High School needs some missionaries like that, that will go and not, become, not reaching the sinners by becoming a sinner, but reaching the sinner by becoming a friend of the sinner. What, what Honda needs is missionaries like that, that will go there, befriend people that they work with on the line, and then show them that there is a greater life available to them than the riches of this world. That's what our place needs. That's what White Plains needs. That's what Heflin needs. Man, that's what Calhoun County needs. That's what we need to do to the ends of the earth. If we want to make disciples like Jesus, church, we've got to make friends like like Jesus. Now, I want you to notice that this didn't bring a warm and fuzzy feeling to all the people around Jesus, okay? I want you to notice that this brought hardship into the life of Jesus. The Pharisees come and they hear what Jesus is doing and they begin to rebuke Jesus' disciples. They begin to rebuke Jesus' disciples and say, man, your, 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 your teacher is associating with people that are going to make him unclean for worship. Like your teacher is leading you down a path that is going to exclude you, not just from your people, but from the worship of your God. Are you okay with that? 
Are you cool with that? Are you sure this is who you want to be with? You see, Jesus did not make friends for the purpose of social advancement. That's what we do. That's what we do. Jesus did not make friends for the purpose of social advancement. If, on, if we're honest about what we're reading in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus is making the wrong friends and Jesus is making the wrong enemies. Because at, 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 if we just boil down Jesus' mission, Jesus' mission is to start a revolution, to, to establish a new and greater kingdom. And in our minds, if we were coming up with a strategy, the strategy that probably we would come up with is why don't we get the most influential people on board? Why don't we influence the influencers? And if we influence the influencers, everybody else will follow. But who are the enemies of Jesus? The influencers. The people that Jesus is rubbing all kinds of the wrong way are the religious leaders and the governmental leaders and the, the people who are leaders in the temple. They're the ones that are coming against him. And yet Jesus doesn't change course because they're not pleased with him. Jesus doesn't change course because the other churches around them wag their finger in self-righteousness and say that that, that that church that's trying to do something is in wickedness. Now, Jesus doesn't worry about those people out there somewhere. Now, instead, Jesus makes friends with sinners. Jesus makes friends with a tax collector sitting in his tax booth. Jesus makes friends with, with the, the, the harlots that come to Matthew's house. Jesus makes friends with the corrupt politicians that show up. Jesus makes friends with all the wealthy people that have gotten wealthy at the expense of the poor people. Jesus is sitting at a table, lying at a table, hanging out with all of them. And it didn't just tarnish Jesus' reputation, did it? It tarnished Jesus' disciples' reputation. They're the ones that are rebuked by the disciples. They're the ones that are called out. They're the ones that the Pharisees come to and are like, hey man, what are you about? And you know what? The disciples, their first instinct would have been to agree with the Pharisees. That's what would have come natural to them. They were raised up in the way of the Pharisees. They were good Jewish people. They were disciples of John the Baptist. They were committed to holiness and to righteousness and to following after the way of God. And the Pharisees come and they say, look, this man is leading you down a path of wickedness and unrighteousness. You know, can you imagine what it would have been like so, so you have, at this point, we know of at least four disciples, right? Like, at this point, we know that there's Peter and Andrew and James and John, and all of those are, are fishermen. All of them, you know, like, they're not the intellectual elites of their day, but, man, they're the blue-collar, get-it-done, good dudes, disciples of John the Baptist, obviously religious guys, obviously have some kind of desire to honor the Lord in their lives. And so Jesus has called them, and they're following— they're they're, they're devoted Jews, if nothing else, right? And so those kind of disciples, they make, that makes a little bit of sense. And you can imagine, they, they've kind of developed a disciple chemistry among the discipleship community at the time, right? And then what does Jesus do? He says, hey guys, I'm going to put a tax collector in here with you. Hey, hey God, you know, you know these people that you've excluded from worship forever? They're going to be a part, he's going to be a part of our discipleship community. Okay, I hope you guys are good with that. Can you imagine can you imagine like, okay, let, let, let's, let's frame this up in the Iron City context, okay? You're in a D group. 
And, and man, it's people, man, they're hungry. They're ready to walk with the Lord, ready to memorize Romans 8 or whatever you're going to do. Read the, all the copious pages that we have to read. And then your D group leader says, yeah, and by the way, I met a prostitute, not seeking them out, but just kind of bumped into a prostitute hanging out at Walmart. And I asked, I asked them if they wanted to be a part of our D group. You'd be like, whoa, 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 right? Right? I, yeah, I, I, you know, you know uh, Robert Bentley? He's going to hang out with us for a while. You'd be like, whoa, bro. I'm going to talk to the elders today, all right? That's what Jesus does. That's what Jesus does. Jesus invites Don Sigelman into the midst of his D group. The disciples would have been immediately uncomfortable. They would have been at, at total, total disagreement and discomfort with what Jesus was doing. Everything that they had been raised to know, everything they had been raised to love, all of that is in question. None of this is making sense. There's a tax collector, there's a, a criminal, there's a traitor in our midst. And it tarnishes their reputation and it tarnishes Jesus' reputation. You know, I think it is that if our reputation is never tarnished among self-righteous people for the friends that we have, that we aren't making friends like Jesus did. If our reputation is perfectly intact with self-righteous fundamentalist people that care nothing about reaching the world, only about proving to the world how wrong they are, then probably we are making friendships like Jesus. But what Jesus was teaching his disciples and what Jesus is teaching every single one of us is that his mission is more important than our reputation or our social comfort. And if the church would ever realize that the mission of Jesus is more important than the, their social comfort and their own self-righteous desires, then we would become lethal to the strongholds of Satan in our community. You know, this morning somewhere in our community, there was a deadbeat dad that woke up hungover and today he's going to neglect his children again. And today he's going to neglect his wife if he hasn't already lost her again. And do you know what? His salvation is more important than your reputation. His salvation is more important than your reputation. Befriend him. Befriend him. This morning, there's a girl who you know at high school throws herself at every boy and she's the most promiscuous girl in town. And you want to hold her at arm's length and you want to gossip about her behind her back because that raises your social status. But you know what? Her, her salvation is more important than your social comfort. Befriend her. Befriend her. Perhaps this morning, driving down Highway 9, there's a member of the LGBT community and they are hurling insults at our church as they drive by, hurling reviles at our church as they drive by. And you know what? To enter into friendship with them may be uncomfortable, but you know what? Their salvation is more important than our comfort. We should befriend them, church. When I was in college, I had a job at Winn-Dixie. And... I'm telling you, I am a recovering Pharisee. <laughs> and it is a daily, daily battle for me. And so there was a guy, I worked in the office there, like I was the guy that was over the safe and all that kind of stuff. And, and there was a, a, a young man there, probably my age, maybe a little bit younger, named Ori. 
And Ori was an unashamed homosexual. And in a time, a training came available that I was required to go to and that Ori was required to go to and that the company was gonna pay for us to go together to this training that was out of town. And man, it, I was just dumbfounded, dumbfounded. What do I do? I'm a good Christian boy. Man, I'm trying to honor the Lord with my life. How am I supposed to go and associate? How, how am I supposed to share a car with him? How am I supposed to share a room with him? Like, how is that going to work? I sought the advice of a pastor and said, I'd go to my boss and I'd tell him, no chance, I'm going. And I did that. I did that. And you know what I thought? In my own self-righteousness, I believed that I was taking a bold, courageous stand for righteousness. But I was not taking a bold, courageous stand for righteousness. I was taking a bold, courageous stand for self-righteousness. What an opportunity I missed, church. What an opportunity I missed to show him that Jesus offers friendship to every sinner, that Jesus delivered even a wretch like me and by his amazing grace could deliver a wretch like him too. And I am ashamed to this day of my action. Church, his salvation was more important than my reputation. His salvation was more important than my social comfort and my social advancement and I blew it. If we are going to make disciples like Jesus made disciples, we must make friends like Jesus made friends. And from Bethlehem to the cross, Jesus condescended from the throne of heaven to dine with sinners without ever at one point being condescending to sinners so that we might be one. May we adopt his mission. May we adopt his mission to dine with sinners without becoming sinners that we can offer the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that they might be delivered, set free, made new and have hope in the gospel that you and I have found. Let's pray together.